Readers of James' epistle are immediately thrust into the reality of trials. He tells believers that we most certainly will face them. Also, we must maintain a joyous outlook, knowing that God uses these trials to purify and refine us in our spiritual growth. As well, we've seen here that instead of avoiding trials, we are to endure them. And in order to do so, we must pray to God for wisdom. It appears that James shifts away from dealing with trials in James 1, 9-11. However, for his original readers, poverty and prosperity were two of the most significant trials they were enduring. You see, some believers face trials associated with their poverty. Other believers struggle with trials due to their prosperity. And even today, believer, whether you want to acknowledge it or not, are being tried in poverty and prosperity. See, regardless of whether one is rich or poor, does not matter in times of trials. Trials are the great equalizer between the rich and the poor. Trials are the great equalizer. Now, as believers, we must understand some truths here. First, it is ultimately, according to 1 Samuel 2, 7, the Lord who makes one poor and who makes one rich. Proverbs 22, verse 2, the rich and the poor have a common bond. The Lord is the maker of them all. Now, sadly, there is a distrust, a hostility, a contempt that exists between the poor and the rich. And yet the only genuine difference between the poor and the rich is what's in their bank account. Both the poor and the rich enter this world and leave this world in the same way, naked and with nothing. 1 Timothy 6-7 For we have brought nothing into this world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. Now as believers... Christ's sacrificial death has removed the man-made issues of racism, sexism, and classism. Galatians 3.28 There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so while believers may be poor or may be rich, such distinction between rich and poor should have no place in the church. Sadly, though, and too often because of sin, these distinctions continue. Even in the early church, the rich upper-class believers ate and drank with each other and left the table scraps for the poor lower-class believers. We saw this back in 1 Corinthians 11, 20 and 21. Therefore, when you meet together, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper, for in your eating, each one takes his own supper first. One's hungry, another is drunk. And so in order to remove this sin of classism, God uses trials as the great equalizer between the rich and the poor. Trials place the rich and the poor on a level playing field. Trials teach the poor to boast in their exaltation, as well trials teach the rich to boast in their humiliation. So as we approach James 1, 9 to 11, we're going to see that trials are the great equalizer. And we're going to begin with verse 9 and see how trials teach the poor to boast in their exaltation. Trials teach the poor to boast in their exaltation. Verse 9. 
But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. Notice the term brother, Adelphos. It demonstrates that James viewed his readers as fellow siblings in God's family. The term Adelphos identifies both James and his readers as part of a fellowship or community of love. And the church is a fellowship of believers who share a familial bond due to their relationship with their heavenly father. And so James begins by addressing the brother of humble circumstances. In verse 10, he addresses the brother who is rich. And because there is a familial bond in Christ, both the rich and the poor should view each other as equals. The poor should not covet the rich, and the rich should not despise the poor. Now within the church, there are fellow believers who are of humble circumstances. Typing us. That these fellow believers are tapenos, or of humble circumstances, indicates that they are poor, insignificant, lowly, and powerless. The Greek term tapenos is used in the Septuagint to translate six different terms for the poor. For example, Psalm 10 verse 18, to vindicate the orphan and the oppressed, tapenos, so that the man who is of the earth will no longer cause terror. Psalm 18.27, for you save and afflict it, tapen us, people, but haughty eyes you abase. Psalm 102, verse 17, he regarded the prayer of the destitute, tapen us, and has not despised their prayer. Now, besides the Septuagint usage, the term tapen us should be translated as poor because it contrasts with the term rich in verse 10. Now, James used the term tepenos to depict the socioeconomic condition of some of his readers. You'll remember that originally his readers had fled Jerusalem and had been scattered to Syria and Asia Minor, such as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. And this was due to the persecution against Christianity. So they were living in foreign countries and experiencing difficult financial situations and social ostracism, through no fault of their own. Now there is a belief among some Christians that the scriptures paint the poor as altogether righteous and the rich as altogether wicked. Now such a view is not simply an oversimplification of the issue, but a misrepresentation of the scriptures. Now certainly many people suffer in poverty through no fault of their own. But some suffer from poverty because they are lazy whereas others become wealthy because of hard work. Proverbs 10.4 Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Proverbs 14.23 In all labor there is profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Some are in poverty because they've ignored God's ways. Proverbs 13.8 and 18 The ransom of a man's life is his wealth, but the poor has no rebuke. Poverty and shame will come to him who neglects discipline, but he who regards reproof will be honored. Now, on the other hand, Scripture does state that the poor often have integrity and humility, which are often lacking in the rich or wealthy. Proverbs 19, verse 1. Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than he who is perverse in speech and is a fool. Proverbs 28, verse 6. Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than he who is crooked, though he be rich. And now James commands believers who are financially destitute and socially oppressed 
to glory in their high position. To glory in their high position. Now notice here that James does not command poverty-stricken believers to have a little faith and name it and claim it. The name it and claim it philosophy is part of the health and wealth prosperity gospel heresy. And that prosperity gospel does nothing more than make false promises to appeal to the greed of individuals. Instead, poverty-stricken believers are to glory in their high position. Now the term, kakaomai, translated as glory, is not the usual term translated as glory, doxa. The term kakaomai means to boast or brag. Now typically in scripture, the idea of boasting or bragging has a negative point of view. James 4, 6. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. You see, boasting of oneself out of arrogance assumes one's greatness. And that is evil. I certainly hope no one here listening would be guilty of such boasting or bragging. But if we're honest, we probably have. And if that's the case, we need to repent of that. Now, James' command to boast here is not to boast of oneself, but to boast in something else or someone else. If boasting in oneself is arrogant and evil, in what should we boast? Well, we ought to boast in our tribulations, Romans 5.3. And not only this, but we exalt or boast in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Now, Paul's statement in Romans 5.3 parallels James' statement back in James 1.2-3. Count it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance. We can boast of our tribulations because we know that the tribulation will bring about endurance and spiritual growth. Second, we should boast in God. We should boast in God, Romans 5.11. And not only this, but we also exalt or boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Now the term exalt in Romans 5.11 is the same term translated as boast. Kaka amai. That the term kaka amai is translated as exalt implies that when God is the object of the believer's boast, there is an air of praise. And accordingly, the reason believers exalt or boast in God is that we have been reconciled to God. So we're bragging on God. So we ought to boast in tribulation. We ought to boast in God. And third, we ought to boast in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 1.31 So that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now in 1 Corinthians 1.31, Paul quotes Jeremiah 9.23 and applies the term Lord to Jesus. Remember, the title Lord, or Kurios, is the Greek equivalent for God's name Yahweh. It denotes Christ as being Yahweh. 
Now in 1 Corinthians 1.30, Paul states that Christ Jesus is wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. We ought to boast in Jesus Christ our Lord because he is wisdom, he is righteousness, he is sanctification, and he is redemption. Now James states that believers, particularly those financially distressed, should boast because of their high position. Now the term high position, hoopsas, is the same term used for the realm from which the Holy Spirit descended and Christ ascended. Luke 24, 49. Behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with the power from on high, hoopsas. That's the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, 8, therefore it says, When he, that's Christ, ascended on high, hoopsas, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. See, though some believers may be poor in earthly things, they can have confidence knowing they will be rich in heavenly things. Luke chapter 6 and verse 20. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Also, they have an inheritance in heaven reserved for them. 1 Peter 1, 4. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. As well, poor believers can boast or exalt in God because he's going to transform their earthly humiliation into a body of glory. Philippians 3.21 Who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. And therefore believers experiencing the trial of poverty can count it all joy and boast in God because they will be exalted. So, a believer, if that's you, if you as a believer or somebody who is, is living in poverty, is poor, is destitute, lowly, powerless, guess what? You can rejoice in this. God is going to exalt you. God has an inheritance for you. God has, uh, he's going to transform your humiliation into glory. God is going to give you his kingdom. Now, some purport that there's no good in telling a poor person that they should boast in their spiritual riches. Spiritual riches, they claim, do not pay the bills, don't put food on the table or a roof over one's head. But I would respond to that, that such a view comes from a materialistic worldview and ignores a person's most basic need is spiritual prosperity, not materialistic prosperity. And James is going to further address this issue in James chapter 2. So while the poor are to boast in their high position, James goes on to say that the rich are to boast in their humiliation. And so in verses 10 to 11, we're going to see that trials teach the rich to boast in their humiliation. Verse 10 and 11, And the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flowers fall off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So the rich man, in the midst of his pursuits, will fade away. Now, the question arises as to whether the term rich refers to believers or unbelievers. 
Two reasons support the idea that these are believers. First, to issue a command to unbelievers amid a series of commands to believers would create an unusual and awkward reading. Second, since the epistle is written to believers, it would be incredulous to think that unbelievers would read and heed this command. No doubt the term rich, plesios, modifies the term brother, adelphos, in verse 9. Hence, James is writing now to wealthy believers. Now, some promote the idea that the Jews believed that the rich are irredeemable. However, throughout Jewish writings, though the rich were prone to pride, selfishness, and taking advantage of the poor, not all those who are rich behave accordingly. According to Sirach 31, 5-11, Blessed is the rich person who is found blameless, and who does not go after gold. Who is he that we may praise him? For he has done wonders among his people, who has been tested by it and been found perfect. And let, him be, or let it be for him a ground for boasting. Who has had the power to transgress and did not transgress, and to do evil and did not do it? His prosperity will be established, and the assembly will proclaim his acts of charity. Notice that the Jews understood that wealth was a trial to the rich. Now, while believers can be wealthy, if you're wealthy, you need to beware, believer. Many believers' faith has been shipwrecked because of the allure of money. As Paul states in 1 Timothy 6.10, the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Indeed, money's allure has caused many a Christian to compromise their wholehearted devotion to the Lord. Now, James commands rich believers to not boast in their riches, but to glory in his humiliation. The verb to glory is not in the Greek text, but it's implied from verse 9. As such, it carries the same force and meaning as boast. Wherein, whereas the poor boast in their high position or future inheritance, the rich are to boast in their humiliation. Notice here the term humiliation, tapenosis. We have another play on words by James. In verse 9, the poor were of humble circumstance, or tapenos. The term humiliation translates the Greek term tapenosis. By the way, Mary described herself as being of humble origins, or tapenosis. Luke one forty eight, for he has, reg has regard for the humble state of his bond slave. Mary meant that she was poor, insignificant, lowly, and powerless. You see, though, believer, you may have been blessed with wealth in this present world, you must view yourself as poor, insignificant, lowly, and powerless. Now, James' exhortation here to wealthy believers is an allusion to Jeremiah 9, 23-24. Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. See, regardless of one's wisdom, regardless of one's strength, regardless of one's riches, you are not to trust or boast in such things. 
No amount of worldly wisdom, no amount of strength, no amount of riches is going to please God or confirm you to God. And furthermore, such wisdom, strength, and riches are temporary and will not last. Believer, and I speak notably to the wealthy, who have many possessions and provisions, you must only boast in the fact that you understand and know God. And the verb know in Jeremiah 23-24, yada, refers to intimate knowledge of God. It means to be personally acquainted with Him. And what you and I need to know about God is His loving kindness, His justice, and His righteousness. Loving kindness, chesed, refers to His covenant love. That is that He is committed to His people. Justice, mispoke describes God's ability to govern justly, vindicate the innocent, and punish the guilty. And righteousness, said Dakah, refers to God's standard of ethics and morality to which he expects his people to obey. And so I ask you, my friends, what do you know about God's loving kindness? What do you know about God's justice? What do you know about God's righteousness? If you're boasting in your possessions or you're boasting in provisions, you're going to be disappointed because, my friend, those things are not going to last. The humiliation that rich believers are to boast of is the recognition that their wisdom, strength, and riches cannot save them. Instead, they must exercise humility and self-abasement and come to God for salvation on His terms. An excellent example is the rich young ruler in Matthew 19, 16-22. Someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good, but if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You should not commit murder, you should not commit adultery, you should not steal, you should not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things have I kept. What am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was the one who owned much property. See, the rich young ruler asked Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? He claimed that he had observed the whole law from the time he was a child. Jesus pointed out that he lacked in one area, specifically the area of love of money. When Jesus told the rich young ruler to sell all his possessions and give it to the poor, the man was grieved and went away. See, this man was self-righteous. He could not see the love of his riches prohibited him from humbling himself and coming to God on God's terms. And see, the issue then is not with God's willingness or power to save the rich, but with the rich's willingness to humble themselves. Jesus went on to confirm that it is difficult for the rich to be saved. Matthew 19, 23-24 Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, this is not to say that the rich cannot be saved. 
However, it is difficult because they trust their riches to deliver them instead of God. And Jesus explained this difficulty by using the illustration of the difficulty a camel has going through the eye of a needle. Now this metaphor derived in Persia, except it was an elephant. Since there were no elephants in Judea, the Jews changed the animal to a camel. And the needle's eye does not refer to a sewing needle, but a small gate in the city wall. Though a camel could eventually wiggle through this tiny gate, it was challenging. It required removing the saddle and packs off of the camel, and the camel having to go through on its knees. Similarly, a rich man can only enter heaven if he removes the encumbrances of trusting in his riches and humbles himself. James goes on to support his command to the wealthy believer to boast only in their humiliation with an illustration. He compares the wealthy and their riches to the withering of flowering grass. And his illustration comes from Isaiah 40, verse 6b to 8. All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows upon it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Now the phrase flowering grass, anthos cortas, refers to wildflowers, probably anemone or cyclamen. When the sun rises in the Middle East, a scorching wind blows and withers the flowering grass. Note the Greek term, kazon, translated here as scorching wind, is used in the Septuagint to describe the hot desert wind that blows from the east. Hosea 13.15, though he flourishes amongst the reed, an east wind, kazon, will come. The wind of the Lord coming up from the wilderness, and his fountain will become dry, and his spring will be dried up. It will plunder his treasury of every precious article. Jonah chapter 4 and verse 8, when the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, kazon, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint, begged with all his life to to die, saying, Death is better to me than life. Jeremiah eighteen seventeen, Like an east wind, cause on, I will scatter them before the enemy. I will show them my back and not my face in the day of their calamity. Ezekiel seventeen ten, Behold, though it is planted, will it thrive? Will it not completely wither as soon as the east wind, the cause on, strikes it, wither on the beds where it grew? Ezekiel seventeen ten, Ezekiel nineteen twelve, And the east wind, the cause on, dried up its fruit, its strong branch was torn off, so that it withered, and the fire consumed it. Now in the ancient Near East, where wood was scarce, this withered grass was used as fuel. Matthew 6.30 If God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? And so the idea here is that grass is temporary. One day it's growing in the field and flowering, the next day it's fuel in the furnace. That every member of the human race, including the wealthy, is like grass, means their life is temporary. Psalm 103, verse 15 to 16. As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more. And its place acknowledges it no longer. James goes on to say, not only does the grass wither, but the flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. The flower's beauty 
describes the pursuits and achievements of the rich. Like the fading beauty of a flower, people's pursuits and achievements are temporary and will perish. The pursuits and achievements of the rich will amount to nothing. The point of this illustration is this. Psalm 49, 16-17. Do not be afraid when a man becomes rich. When the glory of his house is increased. For when he dies, he will carry away nothing. His glory will not descend after him. James goes on and says that the rich man will die in the midst of his pursuits. Word pursuits, poria, defines one's manner of life or one's business endeavors. All too often the sad reality is that the rich endeavor to get richer. They live their lives pursuing their fame and fortune. And here James parallels Jesus' teaching about the dangers of trusting in riches. The pursuit of riches is deceitful and it will cause believers to be spiritually unfruitful. Listen, believer. Jesus said in Mark 4.19, The worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Often the desire for possessions is rooted in covetousness. Consider the parable of the farmer who built bigger barns. Luke 12, 16 to 21. He told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool! This very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasures to himself. And he and is not rich towards God. I would suggest, believer, that you heed the warning of Luke of Jesus in Luke 12 verse 15 beware and be on your guard against every form of evil for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions James goes on to state that the rich man like flowering grass will pass away the verb will pass away per okamai is never used in the new testament to denote judgment Instead, it simply means to cease to exist. Matthew 5.18 For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, parakomai, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Matthew 24, verse 35 Heaven and earth will pass away, parakomai, but my words will not pass away. My words will not, parakomai. Later, James states that the rich man will fade away. Moreno. James' use of the verb fade away, moreno, is an allusion to Isaiah's statement about the flowers fading away. When referencing flowers, it means to wither, and when applied to people, it means to die. In other words, despite fame and fortune, the rich will die. Now, no one knows when death will occur, only that its reality is sure. In light of such a stark reality, believers, you and I would do well to heed the wisdom of Psalm 90 and verse 12. So, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Regardless of how many days you may or may not have, you ought to be striving to living for God's glory. Ask yourself, are you doing that? Are you striving 
to live for God's glory. Friends, it is ridiculous that when the opulent and affluent die, people are aghast and shocked. They cannot believe that that person died. Flags are flown at half-mast. Thousands flock to their funeral. The death of the rich and the famous take over the 24-hour news cycle. And nevertheless, what everyone forgets is that there is no escape from death. Just like the poor, the rich will die. As someone said, when the game is over, the king and the pawn go into the same box. However, unlike the rich, when the poor die, there's no shock or pomp. Flags are not lowered for the poor. Few, if any, attend their memorial, and they're quickly forgotten. And while people respond differently to the death of the rich and the poor, know this, when death comes knocking, one thing is sure. Judgment awaits them both on the other side. Hebrews 9.27 And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. Regardless of how much or how little wealth you may have in this life, it means nothing at death. You will either step into the presence of the Lord or the torment of hell. Luke 16, 22 and 23. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. If you are a believer whom God has made rich, you should not necessarily view that as a blessing. Wealth can be used as a blessing to others. But for you who are rich, it is a de indeed a trial of your faith. Will you trust God to supply all your needs? Or will you trust in your own wealth? Will you use your wealth as a means of blessing to those within the faith community? Or are you going to hoard it to yourself? Will you see yourself as co-equals with your poor counterparts in the church? Or will you instead use your wealth to manipulate and take advantage of those of meager means? What will you do with your trial by money? And to that final question, there are two answers. First, ask God in faith for wisdom how to best use the money given by God. And second, humble yourself and boast in God's loving kindness, justice, and righteousness. Believers, you are being tried, either in poverty or in prosperity. James 1.12 goes on to say, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. So whether poor or rich, you must endure the trials God brings into your life. And amid the trials, count it all joy, ask God for wisdom, and keep his perspective on poverty and prosperity. And my friends, regardless of your social or economic status, you must focus on your true worth before a holy God. You know, this world's view of wealth and status has caused poor believers to be tempted to feel worthless and powerless, and at the same time caused rich believers into, being, into temptation to think they're too highly of themselves. Whether rich or poor... You should not measure yourself by your bank account, nor should you depend on your possessions to provide security. Beware, 
Earthly provisions and possessions are temporary and have no lasting eternal value. Believer, you and I must evaluate ourselves by spiritual benchmarks, not material standards. As well, because poor and rich believers are on the same standing before God, we ought to be investing together in spiritual riches. Matthew 6.20 Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. Both rich and poor alike, you will go to great lengths to scrimp and save in this life and yet at the same time think little of what is to come. Remember, where one invests their treasures reveals who or what they are wholeheartedly committed. Matthew 6.21 For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, Lord, I thank you that in your divine wisdom, you have sent trials into our lives to equal the playing field between the, those in poverty and those in prosperity. Father, whichever side of the track, if you will, that we may find ourselves on, as brothers and sisters in Christ, it shouldn't matter. As brothers and sisters in Christ, whether we're rich or whether we're poor, should have no bearing on how we treat one another. It should have no bearing on how we serve one another. And yet, Father, we confess that all too often we either despise those who have or we despise those who don't have instead of seeing what each has in you. Father, I pray that if anyone who's struggling, Father, in this life, that, Lord, you would come alongside them and help them. But first and foremost, Father, help them to see the spiritual riches they have awaiting them. That, Father, you have a special inheritance for them, You've promised them to be part of your kingdom, the kingdom of God. And I pray, Lord, that they would see that far greater riches as something to pursue than necessarily the things, the possessions, the riches of this world. And Father, for those who are being tested with their wealth, Father, it is easy for them to trust in that, those wealth, those riches. It's easy for them to look at what they have and think they have it all. And yet, Father, in a moment, death can come and take it all away. In a moment, like Job, it can all be gone. And Father, if it's all gone, what will they have? Father, I pray that you would help them to boast in their humility. Help them to boast in what you have done for them. Help them to boast in the fact that nothing that they have can confer them to you. Only what you have done for them. And so, Lord, help them to lay aside every weight, every encumbrance, and humble themselves and come to you. And so, Father, we pray that, Lord, this distinction of classism might be eradicated within the church of God. That it might be eradicated amongst us. But Father, we would not look to one another at what we have or don't have, but rather we would look at one another and see Christ. 
We pray this in your son's precious and holy name. Amen.